Well, good morning. How are you on this sunny, warm Dallas day, huh? Well, hey, blessings. If you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in Luke 5. We're gonna jump in as you just saw. We are continuing in a series called Break Free. If you are with us for the first time, we are looking at what Jesus spent majority of his ministry speaking to, which was actually uh, the Pharisees and what they were creating in the community around them. And so Jesus calls people to break free from the pitfalls and the traps that they fell into. So we'll be in Luke chapter five today as we talk about breaking from stereotypes. Now, isn't it true that some people just have a knack and an ability to do certain things? Like you can put two people on a job and it's like one has a learning, learning agility that they just connect quicker than other people. Or there are some people, it's just like they're hardwired with capacities and abilities. They just pick up a project, a task, a hobby quicker than anyone else. And uh, Pierce uh, shared this about a month ago or so. One of the things that I am absolutely horrendous at, I have a terrible sense of direction. Anybody else directionally challenged in this house? Okay, a few of you, not many of you. Uh, but I am not one of those that does well with directions. But I've been trying. I've been trying to grow. Literally, the other day I was driving to Grapevine, 40 minutes on my Google Maps. Do you know it took me an hour and 45 minutes to get there? I made six wrong turns, six, which is shocking when you look at the fact that there were only supposed to be four simple turns on the whole trip themselves, and I made six wrong turns. And then you get around other people that it doesn't matter if they've grown up in an area, they just have like a sixth sense for direction. Like Richard's like that, Pierce is like that, Judd is also like that. Now I will say, Judd is an amazing worship leader. Can we thank Judd and the band for uh, leading us? Uh, I have to say that because although Judd is an amazing worship leader, he is absolutely terrifying as a driver. Just, I mean, he will drive so quick. So if you want your prayer life to increase, ride with Judd Hardage because you will call on the name of the Lord more than ever before. <laughs> but it's some people, they just have a knack for certain things. Like again, two people, they're doing a hobby. One picks it up quick. You employ two workers. One person gets the task, they get it quick. Isn't it true that even when it comes to physical transformation, like some people will go on a diet and it's like they stop drinking soda and they lose seven pounds in a week. Other people, it is like they will eat everything green, they will get a regimented diet, they will work out and the first week and a half they've gained weight. And you're like, how does this happen? It's like some people have a natural ability, a knack if you will, for transformation, for picking something up. And it's almost like we know that when we're trying to do some hobby, some task, we go, you know, maybe I'm not as gifted in this area. The reason that I tell you this is if you aren't careful what happens with natural abilities, learning agilities, capacities in the physical realm, we start to apply to the spiritual realm. So in essence, we will say things like, hey, maybe I'm never gonna be that kind of person like the Apostle Paul. Maybe I'm never gonna be that kind of person who has that kind of faith or that kind of boldness. Maybe I'll never have a prayer life like that particular person. And so in essence, we almost have these categories where we subconsciously think that certain people are like elite Christians and other people are designed just to be amateur Christians, if you will. And if we don't think that, then why is it that certain times when we read the Bible, we just look at things and go, I could never be like that. And what I wanna say is, with all sincerity, some of you, no matter how hard you try, you will never get a sense of direction. Some of you, you will try in jobs and performances and you won't pick up things as quickly as other people. Other people, just the way your bodies are hardwired, you might not ever experience physical transformation like other people. But if I could say one thing this morning, can I just encourage you with this truth from God, that spiritual transformation, no one is too far from that. 
Doesn't matter how long you've grown in the church, doesn't matter how on fire for God you are, you can experience more. Doesn't matter if you had a season where one day you were really passionate for Jesus and you've started to believe the lie that was just a thing of the past, Jesus can take you even deeper than you once were before. Doesn't matter if your heart is on fire or cold, Jesus is in the business of transformation. The kingdom of God is about transformation. Jesus is in the resurrection business, which means he resurrects hearts, bodies, minds, and souls, which means this, there is no distance, there is no darkness, there is no sickness, there is no person, there is no problem, there is no pain that is too far gone for the kingdom of God. Transformation is the way of the kingdom. And so we have to tear down these stereotypes that certain people are designed to be the elites or these all-star Christians and others are just designed to come to church to be mildly passionate about God but never experience the same things. But what's interesting is the Pharisees in this text actually believe that. They believe that transformation was not for all people, so it's not a far-fetched idea to think if the religious people of Jesus' day believe this lie, how easy is it for us to believe this lie? So what I wanna do is very simply show you the difference between Jesus' model of transformation and the Pharisees' model of transformation. See, what made Jesus' model of transformation so different was that the way he believed that you experienced the kingdom of God in transformation was by undeserved grace. And it was for absolutely anyone. The Pharisees believed it was all performance. It was all about performance. You know, in this passage, did you pick up on how frustrated the Pharisees were with who Jesus was eating with? It's interesting that the most controversial part of Jesus' ministry was not the disciples he chose, although that was controversial. The most controversial part of Jesus' ministry was not the theology he had, because remember, he would say phrases like, you've heard it said, but I say unto you. It's controversial, but it wasn't the most controversial. What, the, what was not the most controversial was the supernatural miracles like casting out Jesus, demons that Jesus did. So what was the most controversial? The thing the Pharisees had the most problem with was who Jesus shared the table with, who he sat with, who he ate with. And part of this is because they had a belief that the table was the place where it identified who's holy, who's in, and who's out. Now, you gotta understand, I shared this the first week I preached, that you don't read about the Pharisees in the Old Testament. All of a sudden, the Pharisees enter in the New Testament, you go, where'd they come from? Well, there was a 400 intertestamental year period where basically the people were pulling away from God. So the Pharisees entered the scene to try to bring people back to God. They started off well. But one of the problems the Pharisees began to question was, why are we not experiencing the blessings and the covenantal promises of God in the Old Testament? So they started asking these questions. Why are the Romans in power? Why are we not in power? Why has God promised to bless us and yet we are not prospering? And they came up with this conclusion that we are not keeping the commands of God enough. And so they started to basically introduce this performance matrix and so they took the laws of the Old Testament and they actually added other laws to it to try to increase the performance. And one of those things was around the table. In fact, there were certain meals, that, prayers that you had to pray during the, the meal. There was kosher meals that you had to do. I shared this on the first week. If you didn't wash your hands the right way, if you were a rabbi, you would be excommunicated from the church. So in essence, the table was the way to see if you're in or if you're out. And so to share a meal with someone who was outside the covenantal community was to pollute the table, the Pharisees believed. And so to spend time at a table with a Gentile, a tax collector, was absolutely unthinkable 
to the Pharisees of Jesus' day. That's why they're just appalled that Jesus would spend a meal with them. And so this performance started to creep into their minds. Listen to what Jesus speaks to about their performance. In Luke 18, nine through 14, Jesus says this, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. And so in essence, what happens is it's just this performance starts to creep in. You know, there was actually something in 2009 that you might be aware of that changed the social media game. It was the like button. And so all of a sudden, your pictures, your children's Halloween costumes were now subject to the performance matrix of all of your friends. And sometimes you'd get a thumbs up and sometimes you would post such a great picture that you would get that little heart. And it's amazing how much in a performance just minded culture, that shifted something. I'll never forget one of our good friends, when they had, a, uh, they had their twins, she just texted us and she said, I have 500 likes on my kids' photos. And you're like, well, great. I'm glad you're exploiting your children for your own personal gain. Good for you. And you know, you kind of joke about it, but it is true that we live in such a performance-oriented culture that even the way you post pictures is now subject to the approval of other people. Performance is everywhere you go. In your job, you perform or you don't make it or you don't get promoted. In your marriage, if you want a great marriage, you gotta perform. If you wanna be a good mom or dad, you gotta be someone who's engaged, be at the soccer games, be at the different things. Everything in life is about some form of performance. So if you aren't careful what happens with your faith, you start to believe the lie that, you know what? I came to church this week. I read the Bible. I hit my prayer times. It must be easier for God to love me this week than last week. And suddenly this performance mechanism starts to creep into our faith where we start to move back from this undeserved grace to performance. It's everywhere. In fact, let me just show you the difference between the idea of Christian grace versus the world's view of identity. So uh, identity in the world's view is this. You pick what you wanna be when you grow up. Even now, if you're 40 or 50, you have an identity that you think if you achieve these things, will give you a sense of purpose and value. All of us have these. And so it could be a particular promotion in your job. It could be a number on your retirement count. For some people, it's the idea of being married. They just think if I could be married, then that would be a sense of a life well lived. And people don't always say these things, but deep in our heart, there are these drives and desires where we have an identity that we chase after. And in essence, we perform to get those things. So if we have a particular job or a number in a bank account or a marriage, then we perform and try to find that person, get that promotion, get those results. And if you get those things, you think, then I'll arrive and I'll experience a sense of value and worth. I mean, everyone has this sense of identity. In fact, I told this to a few people uh, a little while ago in our membership class. I asked my eight-year-old son, I said, what do you wanna be when you grow up? Tristan looked at me and he said, dad, I wanna be a professional gamer. And then he said this, but I also want people to carry me around for the rest of my life. <laughs> I'm like, where do they learn this stuff? 
And we know that eight-year-olds have dreams like that, but every one of us in this room has something that we're aspiring to that even as we sit here and talk and sing, thank you, Jesus, for the blood has set me free, we know there is a certain identity that a lot of us chase after other than that in Jesus. But the gospel, grace is something else because grace says this, you don't strive to earn love, you start with it. The Bible says that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. So you don't spend your life trying to earn blessing, you live from blessing. You know that the God of the universe who's big and powerful has chosen you, has loved you. That gives you your sense of identity. So you wake up each morning and go, God, thank you. How could you be so good to me? And so you don't strive to earn what you already have in Jesus. You go, you know what? If I have Jesus, I really do have everything. And when you start to grasp how big and powerful and yet personal God is, you go, you know what? There is no job, there is no promotion, there is no money in the world that makes me as rich as I am in Jesus. It's one thing to say it, it's another thing to live it deep in your heart. And so you start with the love of God, you get this identity, and then out of that you perform. Out of that you come to church, out of that you read the Bible, out of that you pray, out of that you share your faith. But here's the difference. Grace understands you don't do those things to earn the smile of God. Grace understands you do those things because you have the smile of God. I just realize in Jesus I have everything and so the overflow, the aftermath, the byproduct of my life is Jesus, there is no place I would rather be than in your presence. I desire to taste and see that he is good. If he has changed me, how could I not give back to him and serve if I really believe the story of Jesus is that great, then the story of Jesus is just too good to keep to myself. I don't come to church, retreat, do these things to experience some sort of performance or smile. I know that I already have it. And so performance is something that can creep in so easily. And yet Jesus wants us to understand that because of him, we have life. See, the problem with performance is this. It will tell you all the things to do, but it won't lend a helping hand. There's 613 laws, 10 commandments, do this, do that, do this. But grace doesn't just lend a helping hand. Jesus extended both of his hands, took nails in those hands and in his feet. And he says, because of me, you're enough. See, if you think about this, if you really get this, you can never have pride. Because do you know the only thing you and I bring to our salvation, the only thing you and I bring is our sin. And then we get the righteousness of God. That's why Jesus says it is undeserved grace, but the problem is some people believe it's performance, and my performance, however good or bad, dictates how God feels about me. So the Pharisees are starting to believe this, and they're starting to project that, and Jesus calls people to break free from that. See, the other thing is that Jesus understands that his grace and real transformation is for absolutely everyone and any, anyone. No one's too far for transformation. That Jesus, again, that the kingdom of God is about transformation when you really look at it. But the Pharisees really believed that transformation was limited to a select group of people, a chosen group of people. That's why in Luke 5, 29, listen to what the, the Pharisees say when Jesus is having dinner with these tax collectors. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. A large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, when you read this, you might go, what's up with tax collectors? 
Like I've read this before and I just thought that maybe just the Pharisees had a thing against tax collectors or you know, it was like a sports rivalry or something like that. But you gotta understand, there was a lot going on with tax collectors. Tax collectors were considered two things by the people of God. Number one, they were considered traitors. The, the Pharisees and the people of God hated the Romans. And tax collectors were serving the Romans and taking taxes to build up the Roman army. So anyone who was a tax collector was considered a traitor. But they were also considered extortioners because there were no rules and laws. Basically, they could take whatever they wanted. So tax collectors in that day were almost always corrupt. In fact, it was such a big deal to be a tax collector that once you became a tax collector, you were excommunicated and your witness no longer held up in the court of law because everyone just assumed you were corrupt. So this was a big deal when Jesus is surrounding himself, not with one tax collector, but with a whole army of tax collectors. And so this was something that began to shift. And even this, this was a sobering thought. Even the fishermen, remember when Jesus called Peter, James, and John? Remember what they dropped to follow Jesus? Their nets. Even fish were taxed in that culture. And so these fishermen would have experienced the oppressive hand of a tax collector and imagine what they would have felt when Jesus calls Matthew to be one of their fellow disciples. I mean, there is tension, animosity, but the reason Jesus is doing this is not to be shocking. He's reminding the Pharisees and every one of us today, there is no one who is too far from the transformation of God. Doesn't matter your past. It would have been the most unlikely thing for Jesus to take a tax collector, but he's doing something to show that transformation is for everyone. In fact, can I just say this? It's one thing to come to church, talk about the grace of God. It's another thing to believe it in your spirit. And so can I just encourage, if you're in a place where we all get in seasons where you're just struggling with real forgiveness, or you have something in your past, or is when we speak about God's plans and this idea that everyone can experience what God has, there are people who just struggle to believe that at their core. And if that's you, just let me encourage you with this one thing. You know, as I was praying through this talk, something hit me. You know, Matthew would have spent the first portion of his life with this little book where he would have taken account of all of the taxes he collected for Rome. And in that book, he would literally be recording and writing down all the ways he was cheating and stealing from people, the people of God even. And then all of a sudden, this man has a radical encounter with Jesus. He, become, he becomes transformed. And now instead of writing in a book all the ways he's cheating people, he has this encounter with Jesus where he starts to use his hand and his writing skills to now scribe the book of Matthew that has transformed many people's lives. You just think about that. Most people think that their mistakes are what disqualifies them. But with Jesus, what you find is those very mistakes are what he uses for ministry a lot. Those very things that you think disqualify you are probably the thing he will use to bring deliverance to other people. There are people in this room who I know who have had a failure in their marriage and it has become their greatest ministry. Because what they believe, like Jesus, is that undeserved grace is for absolutely everyone and anyone, no one is too far from transformation which means if you have a past, that oftentimes becomes your platform. Your pain becomes your megaphone, as C.S. Lewis says, to speak about the goodness and the transformation of God. So this is the encouragement that absolutely anyone can experience the transformation of God. And I'll just encourage you with this. If you're in a place where you think, not me, it's great for you to speak about that. 
I just don't ever see myself at a place where I have a boldness for Jesus, where I'm at my job or my workplace starting a Bible study, where I'm talking to my neighbors about the things of God. Like, that's great you say that, but that's not me. I could never see myself with that kind of boldness and that kind of power. Can I just say, you are a prime candidate for the kind of person that Jesus uses. Matthew, a tax collector, Paul, a terrorist. No one is too far from transformation. Whatever it is that you've been holding, let me just encourage you this. It doesn't matter if you've been carrying something for 10 years. It doesn't matter if you've had the same struggle for 15 years. God is in the business of transformation. And he wants to set people free. Not one day, right now. Because it's not about you. It is about the power of Jesus. And then once you get transformation, what's interesting is the Pharisees had this understanding of what you do with transformation. Once you experience it, they had this different understanding of mission than Jesus had. See, the Pharisees believe that what you're supposed to do is once you experience transformation, your goal in life is to preserve moral purity. Jesus had another vision. In fact, listen to what Jesus says in Luke 5, 31 through 32. Jesus answered him, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Pharisees thought it was about, again, preserving moral purity, but Jesus shows it's about rescuing sick humanity. That's what you do once you've been transformed. You believe that the story of Jesus is just too good to keep to yourselves. Now, just out of curiosity, how many of you would say, hey, the real reason I gave my life to, to Jesus is because a parent, a grandparent, a friend, a spouse, a brother, a sister, someone either brought me to church, shared the gospel with me. How many of you would say, you know what, someone else really led a big part of my transformation story? Raise your hand, I'd like to see it which is a whole lot of you. You know what's interesting is I was thinking about that. I, I became a Christian because certain people brought me to church. And it was sobering to think about the fact that there are 40 times in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where Jesus transforms someone's life. 34 happen when friends bring their friends to the feet of Jesus. Meaning only six happen when people just naturally decide, hey, I'm gonna pull in the Heights Baptist Church this morning. Or hey, I'm gonna open up the Bible in my living room. Six incidents in the New Testament. 34 happen when people are intentional to bring the transformation of Jesus to other people. And that's why Jesus says, hey, I haven't just come for the healthy. I've come to be a light, to bring hope, to rescue sick humanity. And that's what we are about. We wanna experience the goodness of God and then allow others to do that. So you go, how do we do that? I wanna end this sermon so very practically. Because one of the things I love at the Heights when I first got here was we do some intentional things at Christmas time. And we do these things called Three Trees and Wonderland and some of you, you've been around and some of you don't even know fully why we do those things. You've just been doing them for 14 years and that's great. Other people, they, you know, you're brand new and you go, hey, what are ways that I can participate in bringing transformation? Every event we do at Christmas is aimed at meeting the spiritual and physical needs of people in our community. We believe these things are designed not just to be a fun event, but to bring transformation. So what I wanna do is I just wanna close out this sermon with some very practical things about what we're doing this Christmas and how you can be involved. And so I have asked the great Richard Covington um, if he would come up and share a little bit. So would you give it up for the world's greatest Cowboys fan on planet Earth, Richard James Covington. I just made up your middle name, I'm sorry. Richard, as you make your way here, who's gonna win the Super Bowl? Dallas Cowboys, for sure, 100%. Always and forever. 
Richard, you have been a great picture of hope in the middle of hopelessness for me. <laughs> so I thank you for that. Hey, um, you guys, I think many of you know Richard, and he won't like me saying this, but one of the things I love about what Richard does is he really has a heart for our community, and he wants to take what happens in this building out into the community. community. And so him and quite a few of you, many of you are key volunteers in the events that uh, we're about to talk about, but I have just been so grateful to Richard's heart to bring the transformation in the community. And so I just wanted us to be recalibrated about why we do what we do so they're not just going, well, why am I giving this gift or what's happening here with these s'mores and other things? So give us just starting with Three Trees because that's been the thing we've done the sure. longest. Yeah. Give us a little bit of where Three Trees came from and what it is. Yeah, so for 25 plus years, right, we've been serving in this area south of us that has a, a significant financial need, very economically depressed. It's called Park Central. And so um, about 16, 17 years ago, we were looking for a way, how, how, do, how do we really energize and, and, and collaborate our efforts in, in transforming that area, especially around Christmas season. And so we had this idea of three trees and three trees just came out of that, that year that we first started it was um, the sermon series around Christmas was after the book, The Tale of the Three Trees. And this book just simply is a children's book and it just simply chronicles the life of three trees and the role that those three trees, individual trees played in the life of Jesus. And uh, so we used those three trees and those three trees represented some gifts that the kids would get at Three Trees. But we've been serving uh, this Park Central area for, and really it's all been about transformation uh, for the last 16, 17 years. And I was doing the math and I, I think um, because of your generosity over the last uh, however many years we've done Three Trees, um, we, you have given close to a million dollars uh, in support of Three Trees over the, over the years. That's it's awesome. been phenomenal. And, and I'm proud of that, but you know what I'm even more proud of? Is that at every single three trees we've had, the gospel has been shared. Every single one, right? Hundreds and hundreds of people have come to know who Jesus Christ is as a Lord and Savior. And, and many are now active in their faith in this church. And it's all been a part of what we've done at this Christmas season. So it really has been meeting physical needs, uh, but also meeting spiritual needs. Meeting the physical needs so we can meet the, the spiritual need. And that's been the heartbeat around Three Trees that's from awesome. the very beginning. Well, and, and I know he said that, but this is important for us because what, what I've found is that, that certain times you can emphasize one to the other. Yeah. And so it's just, hey, we're gonna serve the community um, and meet some physical needs. But the other side of it is, we're just gonna share the gospel. And we think the gospel brings both of those things. Yep. And so the idea that we don't wanna just hand the gospel tract to people and meanwhile there are people. I mean, little things you guys think about that, that just was flooring to me when I first got here. One of the things we give are shoes. Yeah. Because most of us in this room, we, we, we don't struggle with where's our next pair of shoes gonna come from. But there are people that even a gift of shoes is a huge deal. And it's so encouraging that the reason that things like medical centers and adoption happened was because the early Christians took this stuff seriously. Right. So we take the gospel seriously, spiritual life, meeting the needs, but we also believe that we are called to meet the physical needs in our community. And this is one small way that we do that. So grateful for that. Now, because that wasn't enough for you, you decided that two years ago, we'd yeah. introduce a new event called Wonderland yeah. And so uh, speak to us about Wonderland. You have two people that are excited about Wonderland. So <laughs> Man, I, uh, maybe get more people excited yeah, about that. I love, I love Wonderland. It's too so. late now. You'll have to wait till the next one. <laughs> 
so re- really, um, I-, I had this vision that, you know, it's just not people that have a financial need that needs uh, spiritual transformation, right? And, and I, I wanted this around the Christmas season for us to, to, um, to have an opportunity, a Christmas gift for our community. And so Wonderland has been really designed as a family event that you, all of you, can invite your friends to come to, right? The people who live in your neighborhoods, the people who serve with you on civic organizations throughout the community, PTAs, people who your kids play soccer and sports and band with, the people who you work with. And so uh, we know that all of them, they need to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. So we created this Wonderland experience where like three trees, every single Wonderland, uh, the gospel, is presented in a fun family environment way where we can build relationships with folks and hope to have a spiritual conversation uh, and we can ha- provide a fun family event where the gospel is presented. And so uh, he, the, the team has done an amazing job. They have like trains and ice skating yeah. rinks. Uh, it was fun. We took our girls there and uh, I was pretty excited because I wanted to do those things and I had an excuse because I had twin girls that were there. But you think about this, you get to invite people that might not ever walk into a church building and that's the first way that they can experience it. So there's a ton of things and then a nativity scene. So um, that's amazing. And and give us the dates of when that's gonna be. Yeah, so Three Trees is on December 9th, uh, Friday evening. And then this year, Wonderland is gonna be on two days. It's gonna be on Saturday uh, from three to seven and Sunday from three to seven, December 10th and 11th. And then speak about Christmas uh, services and what we have coming up with Christmas uh, Eve services as well. Yeah, so we have a Christmas concert that we'll have in here in this room uh, the first Sunday in December. It's a fantastic event. I call it my Selah moment. Selah is just where you pause and you look up to God and you see that in the Psalms over and over again. I love the Christmas concert because it's an opportunity for me just to pause in a busy schedule and say, God, you are the whole reason why we celebrate this season, right? the coming of Jesus Christ. And so uh, that's a fantastic moment. And then December 24th at three and five in this room, uh, folks, we put so much time and energy planning this Christmas Eve service. It really is, talk about Cowboys winning the Super Bowl. This is like our Super Bowl, right? We, we want you to invite so many people. The people that you invited to Wonderland, as you walk around and showing them this phenomenal church that the Lord has give, given us, uh, invite them back. To Christmas Eve, invite them to come be your guests at our Christmas Eve services and we will have a candlelight service and we will celebrate Jesus born incarnate as a man, willing, given himself to us and uh, we'll light some candles and worship him that day. Hey, in one sec, give us uh, clear next steps, but I just, I wanna encourage you with this. You know, it was um, stirring in my heart as I was reading John five fourteen. There's this phrase that I never noticed before. It says, and Jesus found him. And I just never picked that up, that, that literally there's crowds of people and it's like Jesus had his radar locked on one person. Yeah. And I think when you look at life, there are people that Jesus has put you in proximity with that um, Jesus has called you to spend your life not just trying to preserve moral purity, but to actually engage in rescuing sick humanity. And can I just encourage you, some of you would not be in this room if people hadn't done that for you. And so Jesus loved us enough to find us, save us. And so this is not burden obligation. It's just being the kind of people that wake up 
to the kingdom of God in such a way that we believe the story of Jesus is too good to keep to ourselves and we wanna find the people Jesus has placed. So here's my thing. If you don't know a person right now, ask Jesus to make you aware of people that you run into uh, with, with you cross certain paths with. My wife and I started praying that and I'm telling you, it's creepy. Like literally, I run into the same neighbor every time. Like the other day I'm walking and his garage door opens right when I'm walking past. It is just like, you start praying, Holy Spirit, make me aware, and I promise you he'll be faithful. Put people in your path that Jesus wants you to help find. So, uh, Richard, practical details. Everyone's going, great, Brian, be quiet. What, what do you want us to do to walk away with next steps uh, from yeah, this? So, super simple. I want everybody in this room to do four things, right? The first thing I want you to do is pray. The second thing I want you to do is give. The third thing is serve and the fourth is experience. Uh, when I say pray, I seriously mean that. I invite you in uh, to, to praying for our Christmas experiences uh, starting today. And we, our hope, the reason why we do all of them is for life transformation, right? We want people to meet Jesus Christ and become discipled, right? So, and, and, and then one day be disciples themselves or uh, disciple makers, that's what we want. So. Help join us with that for pray for that. Uh, second thing is you can give Eat today in the atrium. As soon as you leave this place, uh, you can go out there and you can get um, a sheet that looks just like this. And this is my sheet. This is I'm going to purchase a gift for Daniel. Uh, so we have guys and girls that you can purchase gifts for. Uh, all the instructions are on this sheet. You can just simply go out in the atrium and they'll point you in the direction. We have tons of kids that we can purchase gifts for for three trees. Uh, we have gift cards that you can purchase. You can make cash donations. All those are needed. And so you can give this Christmas season for three trees, right? Um, the, the third thing is we want you to serve. Uh, all of the serving opportunities are on our website. You just simply go to the events page on our website, click on Three Trees or uh, Wonderland. We need help with all three nights, serving Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. This is what I want you to think. It's super simple. Ready? Serve one day, experience one day, all right? Uh, so you have uh, one day to experience, and you have three options, and you have one day to serve, all right? So we would love for you to serve as a life group. We would love for you to serve as a family. You can go online. All the serving opportunities are there. They're all booked in like two-hour segments. So go online, figure out what makes what fits best for you guys to serve. And then if you serve on Saturday, then come to Wonderland on Sunday, right? And then bring your family and bring your friends to be a part of that Wonderland experience. And that's the fourth thing. We just want you to experience it, all right? Uh, Wonderland, one of the things I love about it is that there's this walk-through live nativity where the gospel is clearly presented and then kids can really interact like with Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men and, and they will hear the Christmas story with a live nativity with animals. It's phenomenal. So we want you to experience that. So four things, right? So we want you to pray, we want you to give, we want you to serve, and we want you to experience all the information's in the lobby as you leave this morning. Hey, he'll hate me doing this, but uh, I've been so blessed with just the way that you and your team and many of you and volunteers have helped lead this. Would you just help me thank Richard and so many amazing volunteers who are navigating this? Um, it's just really cool. All right, we're gonna be done because we wanna give you a chance to go uh, get yeah. those cards, those names. Richard, would you just close us out uh, and pray for our time and any next steps? Yeah.
Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you came this morning and you're prepared to give your tithes and your offerings, uh, you can do that anytime online. You can do that in giving boxes right when you leave. And, and as we talk about you know, what we do with resources that are giving uh, as we steward God's money, Three Trees in Wonderland is a perfect example. We could not do Three Trees in Wonderland without your generosity. And so thank you for giving, and you can continue to do so. Uh, also, we've talked a lot about the gospel. We've talked a lot about celebrating who Jesus is. Uh, if you are here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, and you really don't even know what I'm talking about when I say that, right? We would love to have a conversation with you, right? Because we believe Jesus is our King. We believe he is our Lord and Savior. We believe a personal relationship with him is very attainable. Um, I have it. My hope is that all of you have it as well. If you have questions about that, I'll be right back there at the end of the service, and I'd love to have a conversation with you about that today. So uh, let's do this. Why don't, we just, why don't we all stand, and then I'm gonna pray for us, and then you guys are gonna be dismissed. Uh, and I invite you to go to the atrium and we have a lot, a lot of these kids to grab, uh, to purchase gifts for, so please grab this before you leave. Don't grab kids, okay? Don't <laughs> grab kids. <laughs> All right, let's pray together. Uh, Father, you are good, you are gracious, and you are kind to us, and we love you. And Father, I love the heights. I really love the heights during the Christmas season. And Father, because um, I, 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 I think it shines a spotlight on what we're best at and that this local expression of the bride of Christ is really good about serving and lifting other people up. And so, Father, I pray that you would guide over us as we do that. Father, I pray that if there are people in this place that don't have a relationship with you, they would begin asking those questions today. And Father, I pray that through your spirit, you would begin to put in the hearts of men and women names, even today, about people they should invite to Wonderland and to, and to Christmas concert and Father to Christmas Eve services that we would be very generous, not with just our resources this Christmas season, but we would be very generous with our invitations this Christmas season and we would invite people to experience what we believe is the most important thing in our life and that's a relationship with you. So Father, lead us and guide us, we ask. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen, you're dismissed. <laughs>